Hi, it's John Calvin again. The key to understanding my teachings is to remember the acronym TULIP. T stands for Tupac is still alive. U, Unicron is the most powerful of the Decepticons. L, lizard people have infiltrated the government. I, interdimensional travel is possible. P, Pokemon Snap is the best game for the Nintendo 64. No discussion. Hello, and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP, and I'm here with Father Chuck. John Hi. Calvin. <laughs> John Calvin is here to talk about the truth, the real understanding of all things Christianity. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't sound French, but... The Dovahkiin himself. <laughs> the dragonborn of the Reformation. <laughs> Instead of fuss du ra, it's like predestined. This is such a deep cut. Like we're, we're our, our audience right now has to be people who like know what Calvinism is and Skyrim. <laughs> that is a niche audience. I actually don't think it's that much of a niche audience. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't think. I, I I would imagine that if well, let me put it: if you are a Calvinist who plays video games, you probably yeah. played Skyrim. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's probably true. Um, so in case you, you, you haven't noticed, we, we are going to be talking about, uh, Calvinism today. Um, uh, this is, uh, it's going to be interesting. Yes. And, uh, if you allow me to interrupt, sorry, JP is, uh, is part of the reason I know why we're doing this is because if longtime listeners will know that occasionally we have made little digs at, at Calvinists and we figured we would do. We would, we would, we would, we would just lay it on the table, right? I mean, it'd be probably good for us to have had like an actual Calvinist on, but as we'll talk, that's that's often very difficult. I mean, we may have to have a Calvinist on after this episode. It's true. They may not let us not have one. <laughs> that's very true. Um, I've I've already seen, uh, and I don't know if you noticed this, Chuck, but uh, the comments on our Facebook page, people are are looking forward to this and hearing your thoughts. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I'm nervous. Uh, well, don't be. It's going to be fun. Uh, funnish. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think our beards are full enough to be really good authorities on this. And um, I, I finished my iced coffee, and I don't have a craft beer with me to properly get into the headspace. But where, I mean, it is ten in the morning. Where does the craft beer thing come from? I didn't even know that until we started talking about it a couple of years ago. Well, that, and that has to do with, I, mean, I think the Babylon Bee is the big, uh, you know, which we gave a little bit of a, of a, of a shout out to in our, in our trailer. Hell yeah. um, the Babylon Bee has uh, done a lot to perpetuate this meme that Calvinists are long bearded white guys who like craft beer. And the thing is, is that I think back to our college days, I, that stereotype was already back then. Uh, it, Man, they, they like I don't to go out and have so. beer and just talk theology. That was like their thing. The Calvinists I hung out with would like throw a Bible at you if you came home smelling of booze. Yeah, there were. Well, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get okay, into we'll it. it. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yeah. Right, let's let's talk. Let's let's talk about let's let's talk Calvinism. Uh, 
So Chuck, what, what is Calvinism? Well, that is a big question, actually. <laughs> um, so uh, Calvinism um, is also sometimes just synonymous with reformed theology. Um, so a little bit of history. Um, uh, Martin Luther set off the Protestant Reformation when he nailed, according to tradition and legend, the 95 theses on- right, it was basically a tweet storm. Yeah, on the door of the church uh, in Wittenberg, which uh, historians doubt he actually did that. But um, um, yeah, I mean, he may have, but he also probably mailed his his statements around to different people, but or distributed because they wouldn't have had mail. But anyway, whatever. So he kicked off the Reformation, and what Luther was attempting to do was to he wanted to do some renovation work in the in in the Roman Catholic Church. He um, had read the Bible. He felt that. Uh, that the 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 failure uh, or the unwillingness of the Roman Church to allow the Bible to be translated into the vernacular languages of the people um, was a problem, and so Luther began a process of challenging and questioning uh, a lot of things in the Roman Catholic Church. But his he considered himself a Catholic throughout his life, and from what I understand, and was not necessarily interested in starting a new church. He just wanted to see the Roman Catholic Church change. I mean, eventually later in his life, that kind of that that for himself uh, changed. But I mentioned Luther because um, along came a group of reformers, particularly in Northern Europe, like in um, like in Switzerland and other places, people like Ulrich Zwingli um, and others who didn't who felt that Luther had not gone far enough. And so they began what historians call the Radical Reformation, um, where they began to just really throw out more and more of the, of, the, of the history and traditions of the church and just to really try to remove themselves as much as they could from the Roman Catholic Church, which, to be fair, is not necessarily without merit because the Roman Catholic Church, even Roman Catholics today will say, the Roman Catholic Church of the late Middle Ages uh, was a very um, exploitative and sometimes oppressive system. Um, and had largely ab abdicated its moral authority and was much more interested in political power and things like that. Um, there was still some good work going on, good theologians around at the time, but um, the, Ro the medieval Roman, the, the late medieval Roman Catholic Church was still, uh, uh, you know, it was not a uh, kind of inaccessible. Yeah, and it just wasn't. It wasn't really like the, the best, right? I mean, it just it, it, there was a lot of abuses going on. So, so that's what that, that's what kind of touched off the, the the Reformation mindset in Western Europe. So then, the radical reformers they want to they, they feel the whole thing is tainted. The Roman Catholic Church is just beyond repair. They have you know. So their their kind of mentality is well, we've got to get back to the roots. Let's try to like remove everything that is built up around the church, and they believe that they can sort of dig through. Um, all of this historical buildup to get to some kind of kernel of truth. And for them, it was the Bible. They felt that the Bible was the thing upon which the church was founded. And so we need to get back to the Bible and what the Bible, and they saw, and, and, they, and they added an innovative idea that they didn't realize was innovative, I don't think, but it was an innovative idea. And that is that the Bible was prescriptive rather than reflective of a theological tradition, that it was prescriptive of a theological tradition. So what, what does that mean? That, um, that basically the Bible is a rule book on how to be a Christian. Um, they took issue, the radical reformers took issue with the Roman Catholic Church's insistence that they were the ones who could interpret the Bible, that the church interpreted the Bible. Um, they felt that, um, that that allowed for tyrannical, for a very tyrannical mindset and for, um, which it did, it, it, and that's true. Um, um, but what they did is they, they swung the pendulum in the other direction and sort of, 
and basically removed the Bible from the context of a church tradition. Um, you know, as I, I, I read a little bit of Calvin's, Calvin's Institutes in preparation for this. And one of the things that's interesting about the Institutes of, of the Christian religion, um, when it talks about the Bible is Calvin, basically, he's making this really this argument that the Bible exists, that the Bible's authority exists independent of the church. Um, and this is a very innovative idea for the time. Um, because the logic is pretty obvious. The church wrote the Bible or compiled the Bible. Therefore, right. they have the, 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 the mindset of the Roman church was because we wrote it and compiled it, we have the authority to interpret it. Um, but Calvin wanted to make Calvin, well, the ra radical reformers want to make the claim that that's not the case, that, th that if these words came from God, then they have a truth in and of themselves independent of any kind of tr church authority and do not need a church authority to interpret it. Now, I, again, we'll get into this a little bit more yeah. because I, I'm mentioning this because um, Calvin then comes along later. He's not among that first crop of radical reformers. And what Calvin winds up doing is popularizing their, uh, their stuff. Calvin was a lawyer. He was never ordained a minister. Um, um, and he um and he i mean he has background in law and the classics and so um he comes along he's very taken by the the radical reformation and again he writes the he writes the institutes of the christian uh religion uh, uh which is a, like a 1200 page tome um written in french um in order to popularize this theology um and largely to also refute the uh, to try to refute the Lutherans who they felt the Lutherans weren't going far enough. They were still capitulating to Rome a little bit. And so uh, this book is immensely popular um, throughout Northern Europe. And, um, and it winds up um, taking the Protestant Reformation to a whole different place um, that then of course, as we know from history leads to a lot of violence. It leads to a lot of, um, a lot of uh, major societal upheaval and change. Uh, the Reformation is uh, either the cause of or reflective of some radical shifts in even in, in general philosophy, but also in political thinking. Um, you don't get to um, you don't get to the democratic uh, uh, democratic revolutions of Europe without the Reformation. Right. Um, uh, in this challenging of the status quo and conventional uh, beliefs. So Calvin is popularizing this stuff that is just general reformed theology. Later, it starts being called Calvinism, which Calvin himself in his lifetime hated. Um, he, he, he just felt, no, it's reformed theology. Like, it, it, don't stick my name on this. Um, so that's the historic understanding of Calvinism. Okay. Then we get to how it's interpreted in different parts of the world, particularly in the English world with the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, and that becomes a big thing. Um, and then that leads to, uh, that, that whole thing leads to the Synod of Dort, which um, gets further interpreted and simplified in the Western world. Um, and then it gets, that sort of gets interpreted in like, I think the 30s or something like that um, with these scholars who um, give the acronym TULIP. Um, which is right. the basis of what we call five-point Calvinism, which again is pretty big. But now we get to this other weird place where now Calvinism um, is is largely is largely shorthand for uh, uh, conversations around whether or not people are predestined to damnation and salvation, the, the predestination conversation. So again, it's a big thing and it's way more complicated than just that little issue, but that becomes the real big issue for people when they talk about Calvinism sort of in our conventional contemporary understanding of the term. Right. Well, let's, let's get into um, Tulip, if you don't mind. Sure. 
let's talk about um, well, what is TULIP? So TULIP is an acronym um, that refers to these five doc these these five points of doctrine that are outlined in the um, Articles of Dort. I think that's what it's called, which is the the the, the summary of the Synod of Dort. Even though people argue that that Dort doesn't do this, but anyway, I, I'm just trying to be fair to the Calvinists that will that will be listening to this episode because I don't want to be dismissive. Right. Um, of but is um, um, TULIP refers to uh, was it total depravity? Tupac is alive. Tupac. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I saw John Calvin on the internet saying something about that. Um, but no, so uh, so total depravity is the T in tulip. The right. U refers to unconditional grace. The L refers to limited atonement. Wait, is it unconditional grace or unconditional election? Oh, sorry, unconditional election. That's right. Limited atonement. And then the I is irresistible grace. And the P is the perseverance of the saints, which is also the title of a song off of the OC Supertones Strike Back album. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I keep forgetting that there's a, uh, a Calvinist ska band out yeah. there. Oh yeah. Oh yep. Yeah, uh, yep. Maybe we should, maybe they should be the Calvinists we have on next time. That would, I, I would actually love that. I, uh, I, I, part of the inspiration of me telling you we should talk about this was while I was listening to that album the other day. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> um, do you want to, do you want to kind of quickly go over each one of these points and kind of say real quick what they, each of them mean? Uh, I mean, as, as with all things in, in the Calvinist world and theology world, um, sure, I want to do that, but with the caveat of knowing this is how we understand them to be. Okay. Or how we think most people interpret them from our experiences, because again, I know I've known several Calvinists, and they're very quick to to basically chime in and actually people, you know, like <laughs> actually total depravity is about blah blah blah. So hey, uh, where where do Calvinists get their water? Where? From a well, ac actually. <laughs> oh gosh, from a well, actually. Total depravity. It's the idea that humans are totally and completely depraved, that uh, because of Adam and Eve's sin, um, we are we, we can do, as, 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 as Calvin himself writes in the Institutes, all we can do is evil. We cannot do anything good. Everything that we attempt to do is evil. And that includes choosing God or accepting God's grace. Well, I mean, you right, can't. We take according to them, right? Well, yeah, I told of depravity. That's where I mean, this is where things get this is where things are going to get interesting in the conversation because it it it's 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 tough. Some of the stuff just doesn't seem to me to stand up to logic or hot take the scriptural tradition. But um okay. But the idea of so the the, the, the broad strokes idea tulip uh, or total depravity humans are completely evil, uh, incapable of saving ourselves. That's really what it comes down to. We are incapable okay. of saving ourselves. Calvin would even say we're incapable of doing any good, which I don't know how he would explain like Gandhi, but fine, whatever. Yeah. Uh, we are incapable of doing good on our own. What about unconditional election? What does that mean? Unconditional election means that, uh, and this one's, this one's a little more complicated um, because this gets into the idea of election. And election refers to God choosing people for salvation. Um, and so the idea is that when God chooses or elects someone for salvation, there are no conditions on this. So like 
it's not like God's going to say, oh, you're better than this person. So therefore I've chosen you. Um, it's all to underscore the idea again, that we are incapable of doing anything to earn our salvation. Right. And so God chooses because God, uh, again, it, it comes out of a really rich um, and strong understanding of what we call the sovereignty of God, that God is completely sovereign and God, so God can full free to choose whatever God chooses. And so um, because of that, God chooses because God chooses. And so there's nothing that we've done to earn, to earn that there. And there are no conditions placed on it. God chooses because God wants to choose. All right. And then there's irresistible grace, which means. Well, you forgot a limited atonement. Oh, limited atonement. Yes. Sorry. So limited atonement is, is this is where, the, this is where things get really, really controversial for people. And that is, um, the idea that, um, that only some people are saved that when Jesus went to the cross, he did so only for the elect, not for everyone, but only for those to whom God has chosen to save for out of all time and space. So, um, so, so it is not, it is not a, a, a liberal atonement. It is limited. It is Jesus's, Jesus's work on the cross only applies for the elect. Okay. And then we have irresistible grace which means you can't resist it. When it happens, it happens. You have no choice in the matter. And then the perseverance of the saints. Which means that uh, once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't lose your salvation. Right. Which is something I, I, I mean, I've kind of heard throughout like my entire life, which is, I think a lot of people believe that who, who weren't Calvinists. Um, right, right. I mean, that's a pretty classic reform. I mean, even Luther is big on that idea um, because... Um, the Catholic Church, particularly the Middle Ages, tended to have this idea that you could, you could fall, you could fall out of God's grace. Um, you needed the life of the sacraments in order to maintain um, God's grace on you. So you know, take communion all the time, go to confession, you know, uh, pay your indulgences in particular at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, um, and that, again, that's that's really the issue here is that the Catholic Church, um, in some ways, had developed an almost "buy your way into heaven" mentality. And and that is what and that is the sort of thing that Luther and others were really critical of. And they were trying to bring this core theology back to say, no, it's about the grace of God. Salvation doesn't happen by anything we do. It's only because of Jesus. Um, um, and so that's really the heart of what this is all about. But I think it gets a little mixed up um, in, in, a, in a bunch of different ways. OK, um, cool. So let's let's kind of move on to a little bit of uh, what I like to call a, a struggle session. A struggle session, okay. Yeah, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term struggle session. No, uh, it has its roots in uh, Maoist uh, communist China. Okay, uh, which is when they would take somebody who was considered to be an enemy of the people, and they would put it in public, and they would uh, ridicule them. Um, but this is, but it's it's sort of been reappropriated for the internet to be like basically kind of people, kind of uh, uh, struggling with opinions. Okay. It's kind of part of the call-out culture a little bit, but not really. Okay. It's basically it's basically being mad online in, in a way. <laughs> right. Being it, it, just so everyone's clear, mad online, not Matt online. Yeah. <laughs> Matt's not here because I mean he's a total Calvinist and he was very offended when he heard what we were talking about. So he's <laughs> not here. Oh, uh, about that. <laughs> uh, yesterday was Matt's birthday, by the way. Uh, uh, drop him a, a line and let him know. Happy birthday. happy birthday. And if you're a Calvinist and you have any problems, be sure to direct all your complaints to at the real Matt, Matt, the real Matt Wells on Twitter. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. So Chuck, you did a lot of research for this. You, you a, read a some of it. You read some uh, of the institutions. Institutes. At, uh, the institutes. Uh, you read uh, the Westminster Dog Show. Confession. Nice. Uh, yeah, I did read. I did read some of the Westminster Confession. I didn't read all of this stuff, but I read some of it just to refresh myself. I mean, I you know, I've, and plus I also have. Um, you know, four years of biblical studies under my belt and three-year seminary. So I have a master's oh, of course, in right, theology. Yeah, so I, yeah. I've been exposed to these things. Right, there's, there's a little bit of that. Um, so let me ask you then, um, is there anything that you research or what you know that you found that you kind of, that sort of challenges what you've kind of accepted to be your worldview and, and how you believe things? Um, it's sort of. I... I, I um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about our own experiences with the stuff, so I don't want to get too much into that right now, but it's, okay. it's hard for me to talk about this stuff without going there because um, I grew up um, in a Baptist church uh, that this stuff was going on about 10 years before the wider Southern Baptist convention was dealing with like struggles with Calvinism. And again, in this case, Calvinism specifically referring to issues of predestination, mm -hmm. um, which in case you're not, in case listeners are not clear or viewers at this point um, are not clear on what what you mean by the predestination piece. That's the part that is dealt with in the election and limited atonement and irresistible grace piece of Tulip, which is the idea that, and it's also defined as double predestination. In other words, God predestines some people. Predestines meaning from the beginning of time, God had a list of not only who was going to be born, but who was going to um, who was going to receive this grace. God sort of made a random. Um, even Thanos-esque <laughs> choice on who was going to get uh, saved, and the other the other people would um, were were predestined to be vessels of wrath. In other words, they were created simply to be damned, um, and they have no say in the matter. Um, and that's probably the most controversial piece about all of this. Um, and so, uh, because that was a big thing that was going on in my, in my teenage, late teenage years, um, I struggle with this theology a lot because, uh, it, in, in, in my, in my heart, I felt it didn't seem right. It didn't seem fair. It did not seem reflective of the God of love. Um, um, it, it I mean, just thinking of John three sixteen, right? Uh, right. For, yeah, of course. Or, who, you know, this idea that anyone, right? God, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever, right? There's that, again, there's your unconditional, uh, uh, un, uh, there's your unconditional piece, whoever, right? There's no idea of like, you know, God loved the world so much, but uh, he sent his son just for the, this list of people. Um, you know, maybe you're on, maybe you're on, you're not. I, I just, that, it just seems to go against, uh, it, go, it seemed to go against all of that. But uh, long story short, I've realized that, well, the big thing for me in the Calvinist conversation is the, the idea of God's sovereignty. Um, and that has that has been, had a radical impact on my own theology um, because I, 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 to me, for God to be God, God has to be sovereign. And, that, uh, for, and for the nature of who God is, is a, a radically unique being um, that has no parallel in all of, or in, in, in anything. I mean, God is God, which means God is radically free. And because God is radically free, God is also radically sovereign or just sovereign in the, in the, in the, most, uh, in the most perfect sense of the term. Um, and so for me, I, I, I believe that. I believe also that because God is sovereign, salvation is something that is not up to us. That's a very, I mean, this, and this is stuff that comes out of the New Testament. So this isn't just from Calvin, but, I, I, but it influenced my thinking around my feelings of salvation that I think it's true. We don't choose 
our salvation. Um, I, and I think that because, you know, I grew up with the whole idea of a sinner's prayer that you have to pray to receive salvation. Right. Yeah. Um, and I've, and, 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 and I've, and I've started to think more and more about how I don't, how, how is that not what we call works righteousness? How is that not us doing something to achieve salvation? Um, cause it's effectively saying that Jesus's crucifixion is not sufficient. Um, that the death on the cross and the resurrection from the tomb are not sufficient, um, because they only, they're only applicable once you say the prayer. So therefore like our, our needing to pray salvate, our, our needing to pray for our salvation is a necessary component in order to be saved. So to me, again, that's indicating that the cross is, um, is insufficient. So for me, the logical conclusion is this, is that basically I agree with, I agree with so much of what Calvinism or what the Calvinist doctrine is around sovereignty and election and choice. But I think that it means that everyone is saved. That's I interesting. I don't think that I don't believe in a limited atonement. Um, I, I think that salvation applies to everyone. Um, I think God has elected everyone for salvation because I think that's the whole point of, of what Jesus came on earth to do. Um, a bunch of cabinets just exploded right now. I just want you to know that. <laughs> um, so I, I have some things. I, I did some of my own research as well. And um, there are some verses that I, that I kind of came across in my research that uh, I think a lot of people use in this conversation about Calvinism. And and one of them, and, and I think it's pretty interesting because it's something I never actually really considered. And, you know, there was a time when I really did dabble into Calvinism about 10 years ago. Uh, but when I left, I kind of just like blocked it all out. So like this is kind of like relearning things or a matter of days. Um, but there is um, this whole idea about um, predestination versus free will is it pretty much is like the one thing people are argue about these days, right? Oh, totally. That's like the most controversial thing. It's and, and it, it 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 has it has torn up the Southern Baptist Convention in recent years. Really, that's interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I could see why that would happen. Um, but something um, that somebody raised in some of the research I did, a question they raised that if like if if free will doesn't truly exist, you know, my free will, bro, um, and and everything is you know predestined and foreordained, then when it comes to actually having faith does that mean that god created the faith in you like is it was faith given to you or is it something that you i don't know chose and so one of the verses that that's that's brought up is ephesians 2 8 and i i, I used this the english standard version oh just well, good for you <laughs> uh which says uh for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yes. So, I mean, what, what, is, what is your opinion on that in terms of, like, faith? You know, is it a work? Um, I, I, the thing is, is what Paul is getting at in that statement is that he's trying to, he's truly trying to gr uh, drive home this idea that um, we don't save ourselves. Okay. Like we don't, right? Like, and, I've, and I mentioned this to you in our conversation, in our in our sort of pre gaming conversations, uh, as we've been talking about this for this episode, um, is like I think the really radical message of the Christian faith is that salvation has already happened. I mean, if you think about every religious tradition, um, most of them, if not all of them, um, 
give this idea that um, this is these are the steps you need to take to achieve salvation, right? Right. Follow these rules, do these things. Christianity is the only one, as far as I can tell, that makes this radical claim that, oh no, salvation's done. Like that, that part is taken care of. You are saved. Cool. Jesus did it. He rose again. Salvation has come to you. So now you live your life. The good news is that you get to live your life as though you're saved. What does a saved person look like? What does that life look like? Um, and I think what Paul is trying to get at is basically to say, on one hand, like you can't earn it. That, that's you couldn't earn it. That's why. That's why. That's why God was incarnate in Jesus so that uh, so that uh, so that salvation could be could happen because you couldn't do it yourself. But the other side of it is is to say, you know, and so you need to just stop trying to save yourself. That you need to stop trying to do that because the faith that you have, all of this is this is what God has given us in order to be able to live into this life now. Um, it's it's not and it's, and it's not so you can boast, right? I mean, and this is the piece that just as an aside, in my experience with a number of Calvinists, um, is that this idea of election tends to and, and this is going to be bold and this is going to this is going to irritate some people, I think, and it's going to rub them the wrong way. Um, but I've seen where this idea of election has led to an arrogance, a boasting, you know. Oh, oh, oh yes. I'm elect, I'm chosen. So therefore I, you know, I, the, 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 um, and what Paul is, I think what Paul's really interesting in is, is this piece of, you know, this was all done. So you can't boast, you can't say anything like this was God's doing. And so just, you need to recognize this is God's doing. And just now just live your life in the realization of this, that God has done this, um, be humble, right? Because this is what God has done. You haven't earned this. Um, and and so I, I so I think that, that, that to me that's what that verse is that, that passage is about in in Ephesians. It's not. Um, I mean, but but the flip side is, is Calvin himself says in the Institutes things like um, the Bible makes perfect sense. You don't need the church to understand the Bible. Um, the Bible speaks for itself. But if you can't understand the Bible, that's because the Holy Spirit isn't working in you in order for you to understand the Bible. Like you can't right. understand the Bible unless the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And so it, it becomes this very circular thing that that is very odd, um, but but it's again it's this interpretation that comes out of this passage of, of things like uh, in Ephesians and others to say that um, you only have it because God gave it to you, um, and 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 I and I and again that just feels that just feels wrong to me, um, in the sense of it being. Like it only to me, it only makes sense if universalism is the is the case. The idea that everyone is that everyone is saved. When it becomes a situation where some are and some aren't, that doesn't seem just to me. Um, yeah. That doesn't seem like the the, the the justice of God. Um, and it seems to counter the whole thing that we see in the Book of Revelation of the vision of the New Jerusalem and all the nations coming in and bringing their glory into the New Jerusalem. So. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I, I know I'm, I'm kind of rambling here, but no, no, it, that's fine. Yeah, I think people want you to ramble in this episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, but again, I think the I think Paul's big point is to say, like, look, you didn't earn this. You couldn't earn it. Um, God did all this stuff for us. So stop being arrogant. So on one hand, don't be arrogant. On the other, stop stop trying to save yourself. It's just it it, it it's a redundant action because you don't need to do it anymore. Salvation has happened. Just let it be. Right. Well, how about this one, Chuck? I got another one for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pitch it to you. Sure, sure. John six, thirty-eight through, uh, let's say, let's say forty. All right. Okay. Um, well, let's say it again. John, what? 
6, 38 through 40. Okay, I've got my Bible here, and I want to read along with you. Don't, you. you don't want to read from the English Standard Version? I don't own one. <laughs> By the way, that shelf, viewers, right there, that's all Bibles, baby. That's all Bibles. <laughs> it's a nice little Bible collection you got going there. Yeah. Okay. John I mean, 6, I, 38? 38 through 40. I mean, I, I, have a, I have a passage written down here in the English Standard Version. But if you want to... Can you, can, you, can, you, can you please let the listeners and viewers know why we're talking about the English Standard Version? <laughs> the English Standard Version is like the, the, the modern-day Calvinist John Piper follower uh, Bible it, because it's, it's considered to be the most literal translation ever. Aside from Young's literal translation or uh, the New American Standard Bible, which is what I used back in the day. Right. I mean, it's it's the the ESV is is pushed very hard in reformed uh, circles. I don't know if it's still the case or if there are more. Uh, if there, I mean, I'm not trying to speak for everybody, but I remember back in my day when I when 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 us kids were were reformed uh, theologians, we were very much uh, into the ESV. So that's why I keep bringing it up. Yep. Sorry. I just, I, I, some people are having an emergency. Um. <laughs> well, and, and also I think John Piper really, really backs it too. And John Piper is a very prominent figure. In yeah. Day. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, okay. So what's the verse? Pitch it to me. Okay. So uh, for, I have come down, this is Jesus, by the way. Okay. Uh, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Okay. So, so Calvinists, so you're saying that Calvinists claim that this is a, a verse uh, supporting supporting uh limited atonement yes um yeah because because in, in, in john six forty four, this is sort of it kind of caps off no one comes no one can come to me unless the father has sent me draws him and that right right so i uh, yeah <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard for me to enter this headspace because as I read it, it's just sort of like. Here's what does this? What does this say to you? Because Calvinists, this is this is this is a big thing for them. Because even then, like I said, six six forty four, John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Draws him. Boom. Right. I I so I I feel like for me, here's how I just see this stuff. Like, and I'm, I'm not trying to like, I don't, I don't read it like with like, Oh, what do the Calvinists say? Like I've got a few of those verses because they were proof texted to me back in the day. But what I'm, what I, how I read it and I can't read it any other way is that Jesus is basically saying like everyone who comes to me is saved, like whoever they are, like everyone, like I just, I just everyone, like I just there. Um, it's um, because I think so you know, like everyone here, here it is. I think that every human being somewhere deep inside has questions about God, the afterlife, all of that. Some of us deny it. Some of us become radical atheists. 
Um, some of us sort of become uh, uh, sort of apathetic about it. sort of like, I don't care, whatever. Some of us become, you know, more positive to that. We call that uh, agnosticism where it's sort of like, you know, it, I, whatever happens, happens. It could be anything. Um, and, uh, but I think that everyone has these questions at some point in life. And I think that those questions are put there, are put in us by God. And I think that as we pursue these things and as we as we as we are seeking and, and finding that like that's part of God drawing us to him. And if we are and if, if the Calvinists are right, and I think there's some truth to this, that are, you know, I don't know that I would say we're totally depraved, but I think that, you know, and I know this is probably not the most politically correct way of putting it, but I do think that we are in our we are in a, in a sense handicapped in our ability to fully understand God and God's love because of sin. Um, I, I, but I think the grace of God is that he understands that 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 handicap ability and so for me the, the for me the salvation question is this is that is are the salvation issue is that there's two things going on there's the conversation of what we do in our life now and there's the conversation of what happens after we die um calvinism is predicated on a particular worldview that isn't necessarily biblical and that is that when we die we either go to heaven or we go to hell um that is not biblical uh, what happens when we die? Yeah, the Bible tells the Bible's the Bible's worldview because it's a Jewish worldview is that when we die, we go to Sheol, we go to the grave, we go to a place or, or Hades in Greek, which we've in English and other languages sort of interpreted as hell. Um, hell does not show up until after Jesus returns, and there's this language about casting the false prophet and the beast and all these and all these figures into into hell. Um, what happens is we go down to the grave. Now, some people experience the grave as a place of suffering in the Bible. Some people experience the grave as a place of rest and refreshment. Um, the Bible is actually pretty inconsistent on this. Um, but ultimately, we go to the grave and we are awaiting the resurrection of our bodies. And to this day, you can, and, and Islam has a similar idea, by the way. So to this day, you can go to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, you go um, and you see uh, the eastern wall of Jerusalem. It faces the Mount of Olives. The, 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 the western slope of the Mount of Olives is a massive Jewish cemetery. And that's because in Judaism, they are waiting for the Messiah to return because the Messiah will come over the Mount of Olives and he will enter that gate triumphantly into the city Jerusalem. And as he enters, the graves will open and those in those graves will rise up and join him. So people pay a ton of money to be able to be there so they can be the first to be resurrected when the Messiah returns. Christians still believe that. We just believe that we already know who the Messiah is. In Judaism, we still don't know who the Messiah is. We're waiting for the Messiah to be revealed. Christians say, no, we know who the Messiah is. We're just waiting for him to come back. All right. So Christians and Jews have the same theology about the about this end of the world type stuff, the same eschatology. It's just the identity of who the Messiah is, 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 is the matter of contention between Jews and Christians. Mm -hmm. In Islam, it's the final imam. And there is a Muslim cemetery also. Um, it, it is um, right up against the wall of Jerusalem. And they also believe similar thing. When the final imam makes an appearance, uh, the graves will be open, and, 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 and the Muslim, you know, and Muslims will begin to be rising from their graves. These will be the first because the imam will be there. So, I, I mention this because, so this is our our question of the afterlife: is what happens after we die? Well, the issue of after we die, who gets into heaven, who doesn't? I think, as Christians, we have to say that's completely up to Jesus. Jesus decides. Ultimately, who gets in, who gets out. Jesus is the gatekeeper, right? And he right. even says this. I am the gate to the sheepfold. I decide who gets in and who gets out. So Jesus is the one who makes the call. That's the whole thing about sovereignty. Jesus being the sovereign Lord, he, he makes the decision. He gets to have that final say, all right? 
I tend to believe that that final say is ultimately, eventually, everyone gets in. Maybe not immediately. Maybe some people have to go through a period of of, of suffering, of of figuring things out because of their own their own stuff. They elect. They they, they themselves have elected, choose, chosen to put themselves in a place that's opposite God. But eventually, I think enough time, everyone gets in because everyone is converted. Jesus. Uh, Jesus, as he says in John 14, you know, everyone the father gives me, I won't lose them. I don't lose anybody. I get them in. So there's, so that's, that's the afterlife piece. Then the other question is, what do we do in our life now? How do we live the world now? And I think that's the piece where Christians can say, well, we've, we, we, we get to tap into that life now. So everyone will eventually get into heaven. Some of us are, some of us are granted the ability to, uh, for whatever reason, we we tap into it now. And so we, as Christians, we get to live a liberated life now, no longer trying to save ourselves because we know that salvation has happened and that we know it's to come. Yeah. And so this, there are two conversations, but the problem is during the Reformation era, they collapsed all of this into one conversation and it became about trying to secure one's eternal destiny in the here and the now. Do you, do you think that, I mean, I, I feel like people sort of leave out, especially people who are, are who are Christian and, and, and study theology, I feel like a historical con- context is left out when examining a lot of this. Um, maybe not so much scholars, but like I, I think about the times that this was, um, these thoughts were kind of being developed and stuff. It's like the 1500s, right? Yeah. We're still kind of around the era of like the divine rights of kings and stuff. Oh yeah, totally. So like, do you think like this idea of predestination and limited atonement and um, you know, only these few people are privileged and everyone else, uh, meh. Do you think there is sort of a cultural context to that, that like this is a time when it's like your life was dependent on who, where, and, and which family you were born into and stuff? Yeah, I think I, I totally think that's the case. That in and again, it's it's no coincidence. I think that at the same time that these theologies are developing, we're seeing radical new political philosophies that are trying to move away from the idea of, you know, noble bloodlines making all you know calling all the shots. Um, and so I think in some ways, right? I mean, it's it's you know the the, the Reformation stuff was was, I, I mean, I, I can't say for sure that it was really strongly welcomed by the peasant class of the of the world but i think the idea of saying that even though you're a peasant you could be elect you could be chosen by god you have a divine right um i imagine that has that that's a very big thing for people um but again i think recognizing that there is a fundamental injustice in the world when everything is decided by people just because of who they are because of the way they're born i think that that you know that that, that that's what people are reacting against um right. They're reacting against a papal the, the papal crown, um, while also reacting against uh, these kings who are you know completely you're totally up to the whims of whatever's going on with somebody who's your lord, you know. Um, they could be great and generous. They could also be oppressive jerks, um, and you have no say in the matter. So I think part of that conversation is happening, and part of that mentality is there, and they're taking that stuff for granted. But I but I also find it curious then though that they they seem to also apply that same mentality to God that God as Lord is seen as sort of like a medieval Lord who again, we're under the whims of this, of this being and we have no say in the matter. Um, He chooses some, he damns others. 
Now, I think that this is a bit my hot take on this is I think that a lot of that idea is rooted in this intense hatred of Catholics and the Catholic Church. They need the Catholic Church to be bad guys. They need them to suffer and to be punished. And so this language comes in to do that, to say, you know, these are the people who God is angry with and they are going to be punished because of all their unjust practices. We see this same thing happening today, right? Bring up universalism. Um, I mean, because I've brought up universalism, I, I'm almost willing to bet that if there is a Calvinist who listens to this episode um, that takes umbrage with this, that we're gonna we're gonna see we're gonna see Godwin's law, right? Universalism always brings. Oh, so Hitler gets into heaven? Yeah. Shouldn't we all rejoice that at the fact that someone as wicked as Hitler has the opportunity to be converted? that he could see the error of his ways, he could repent of his evil, and that he would have a conversion. I mean, should we rejoice in that? Because if Hitler can be converted, you and I are totally fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's funny. Most people would probably go to Hitler, but I instantly go to Michael Eisner, so I don't. <laughs> That's... <laughs> um, but, oh, wow. But that's... <laughs> Wow, he that he said that JP said that. <laughs> um, just in case Disney is thinking about buying us or something, I don't know. Um, I I just think that I just again I just I so I think that you know the, the, well. Uh, okay. I also think that, I also think that Calvinism suffers that, that that Calvin's theology suffers from the problem of being an interpretation of an interpretation of an interpretation. Yeah. Um, and takes for granted some stuff that like just wasn't factually true. Right. Um, before we shift gears a little bit, I have a question. I just got a reminder. Yeah. Um, that it's time to post an, an Instagram uh, uh, meme. Okay. Um, because it's yeah, it's eleven o'clock a.m. Uh, but I have two choices, and we're going to make the decision uh, on camera right now. And I'm going to let you decide, Chuck, uh, which one you want to post. Okay. You want to? Do you want to post Calvinist Klein? Oh my gosh, that's fantastic! All right, what's the other option? Or do you want to post? Uh, free will versus free willy. I, I this, the second one is much better. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to post that right now. Um, okay. So moving on a little bit, I want to ask you about, uh, iconoclasm. Okay. Um, Calvinists, uh, let's see, uh, what was my thing? So Calvinist, Calvinism is kind of known for iconoclasm, which means the removal of statues and paintings from churches. Right. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts on this since you're a uh, Episcopalian. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've been to Episcopalian Church, and there are paintings. There are uh, um, some some well, I've got, uh, I've ornamentation. Got, I've got legitimate uh, uh, Orthodox icons on my wall over there. Some back there. Some just off camera. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, Calvinism. I mean, Calvinists believe that ornamentation is fashion, and fashion is vanity. So you had like uh, looting of churches in Lyon uh, and uh, destructions the destruction of religious icons in Zurich. There's a couple of paintings that sort of that, that illustrate that. And I'll post those uh, while we're doing Yeah, I, I, I tend to, well, and, and I also have to, I have to own up, I have to own up to a bit in my own religious traditions history. And that is Henry VIII uh, was responsible for the, uh, the, the dissolution of the monasteries and they looted the monasteries in England as well. So it's not just the Calvinists that did this stuff. Iconoclasm was kind of a thing at the time. Um, and I have to say that while some of the monasteries were known for being um, kind of uh, known for hoarding wealth and some of the monasteries had um, a tendency to sort of um, not really, not really uh, hold on to those vows of poverty that they, that they, that they took. 
Um, I think the destruction of church art is an unconscionable act. And it is akin to what the Taliban has done um, in, in Afghanistan and other places. I, again, I, I, I always think that that is an unconscionable act. Very interesting. Um, and it's something I, that's, that's kind of spilled over, I think, and uh, like, you know, 20th century American church when, you know, it was considered kind of controversial to show Jesus on film. Right. Right. Um, I think part of it, too, is I mean, I think that I mean, I, I have a lot of I've been influenced pretty strongly by Eastern uh, Orthodox Christianity, which is, you know, a, a lot of iconography in their churches. Um, and they're very clear about their understanding of icons, that icons are meant to be these written two dimensional images, carvings and things like that. They, they feel are akin to idolatry, because, again, that, that, that is literally what the phrase graven image refers to as a carved image. Um, and um, and I will say I've been into I've been in some Roman Catholic churches where um, the way people react to statues and images are very concerning to me. Um, there is a very strange Franciscan practice that happens um, every year on Good Friday at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, where a silicone effigy of Jesus is. Uh, nailed to a cross and wrapped in a shroud and buried. I know it's supposed to be this reenactment, but it carries a lot of uh, a lot of uncomfortable idolatrous. Uh, That's strange. Overtures. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah, and then like the the dressing of the infant Jesus in a lot of um, South American churches, and then like uh, it just there are there are some there are some definite idolatrous adjacent things that go on. Um, in Western Christianity. And if that's the kind of stuff that the iconoclasts are trying to address, I think that's a fair thing to address, but I don't know that destroying everything, I mean, I think that's a little radical. Yeah. Um, of course, as I say this, I can already anticipate somebody being like, well, what are your thoughts on destruction of Confederate statues? And that's, we're not going to go there. That's a whole other thing. I'm for it. Yeah, I... Um, <laughs> we don't have to get into it. I'm just saying I'm for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I and, and that's the thing is that I am too. But uh, you know, but I think there's a difference between ecclesiastical things and civil things. But right. um um I I but I think that what like I think like what um the fact that like um Cromwell, who was a Puritan, who is also who the Puritans are very Calvinistic, uh, very even more radical than anything John Calvin I think would have supported. Um Cromwell um, I mean, the stuff that he did to like St. Paul's Cathedral in London, again, is unconscionable. I mean, he turned it into a stable for his horses. I think, or maybe what maybe was Westminster that he turned into a stable for his horses, destroyed priceless, um, beautiful um, altars and, and, and chalices and, and, and just beautiful ecclesiastical things. Um, and also it, that has led to Presbyterian churches, which are reformed uh, in a lot of cases to be very, um, very austere in a way where they will condemn my kind of Christian practices as being idolatrous and vain, you know, cause we're, we're pretty ornate, um, in the church. And I think there's a place for that. Um, and I think that the, that the, 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 the insistence that it is somehow demonic and evil, um, is a problem. But right. Yeah. yeah I, I think there's sort of a, you know, there's, there's between like being ornate and then just like downright like Baroque. Right. Right. That I think that, you know, you could afford you could afford some some uh, Marie Kondoing. No. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is, I, I that's where I break with a lot of my fellow. I I, I kind of fall into the Anglo Catholic camp, um, the high church Anglo Catholic camp in uh, the the Anglican Christian world. Um, but I also 
but for me, it's more about the ecclesiology and theology um, than it is the fussiness of the liturgy, which I feel a lot of times um, folks get too caught up in is the fussiness of the liturgy. Um, I think there's time and a place for some of that stuff, but I don't know that it needs to be like every Sunday. Okay. Um, so let me ask you, Chuck, how do you feel about people who look at um, all of these different theologies and say that like none of them matters? You know, we all love Jesus and we all believe he died for us all. So who cares? Why, why does theology matter? Um, theology matters because and I think the Calvinists implicitly uh, understand this, even though they won't, they, they seem to, uh, Calvin himself doesn't seem to acknowledge it because, right, Calvin makes a statement. This is what I love when I was reading the, the Institutes last night is the Bible just makes plain sense. And if you, and if you don't understand it, it's because the Holy Spirit hasn't graced you with the ability to understand it. But here's my 1200 plus page book on how to understand this stuff. Um, and what I mean by that is that he wants to go and say that we don't need the church to understand this. We don't need the church to interpret it. But then he proceeds to say, well, here's my understanding of the church and how I think we should be interpreting and understanding this stuff. Um, in other words, we need theological traditions. We need that because it's, it, it just, it's just what we've always done as people. Um, and that we read and understand this stuff in a community. I mean, um, it's, it's my problem. It's kind of my problem with the Gideon's uh, ministry of just throwing Bibles in, in hotel rooms. Um, because I think it's a, it's a, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the book is. And it leads itself to people just picking up the book and thinking like, oh, well, I can read this and interpret it any way that I want. And that has led, that, that has led people down to some really scary stuff. I mean, the entire, the entire health and wealth prosperity gospel movement, um, is, is rooted in this idea that like, oh, well this, well, the Bible says this here. Well, yeah, but like, you know, for you know, 2000 years of Christian history, we've interpreted it and understood it over this way. You can't just show up one day and think that this is now the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and I think that, and I, so I think that that's why the theology is important because it helps us, it gives us a, a heritage of understanding a rich tradition. And that being said, I think the reformed perspective is important because they were willing to understand things and approach them differently. And I think they did offer some valid criticisms of the church of their time. Um, and like I've said, I have some complicated relationship with this because as an Episcopalian, um, as an Anglican Christian, we do we do owe a huge debt to the reformed tradition. Um, and much of our theology is rooted in, if you read the 39 articles of religion, um, they are very Calvinist in in their approach it, it strikes a balance in calvinism and lutheranism a lot of people think that we're supposed to be a church that's down the middle between reform or protestant and catholic but that's not exactly it for us it's trying to hold in tension these two reform traditions uh, uh the lutheran and the and the and the calvinist traditions and so I, there's a huge debt to it and i think there's some value to it but i and again like i think my my understanding of of a universal salvation is owed heavily to ideas that Calvin popularized and the reformers were big on. Um, um, but I also think that we have to, we have to take this stuff within context and we have to, we have to, you know, we also have to be able to, you know, engage with it and, and, and help people understand how to hold it in a, in a sense of sobriety. Right. And, and, and you know, I, I've, I've had this discussion before and we're and I think the reason why theology is so important and, and sort of, exploring someone's your your own faith and it's like what you said that you know it's like you have a problem with what the getting about with just being or something that people can interpret however they want you know bad theology could and this is like an extreme case but i mean 
bad theology could probably lean, learn, uh, could probably lead to something like the, the Westboro Baptist Church. Oh, totally. You know, like they, they, if you get down right, down right down to it, they'll tell you, oh, yes, I do believe in Jesus. He will save you if you believe in him. Uh, and, and, you know, I believe that God loved the world, but also, um, uh, you know, um, America should be destroyed. Right. <laughs> Which is what they believe. Right. Um, so, um, where's it, where's it going? okay, so let's, let's, so yeah, that, that was sort of my, my ender for the, for the struggle session. If, if unless there's something else you want to. No. Okay, so let's 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 get into the nitty gritty. Let's talk about our own personal experiences. Okay, Calvinism. Calvinism. Um, I'd like to start off if that's okay. That's totally fine. Um, so you're the moderator, and in this, you are sovereign, and you get to do what you want to do because you are the sovereign moderator of the podcast. And I say, do whatever you want. You can come to my house whenever you want. <laughs> Um, okay, so as I've mentioned in this episode, and probably in previous episodes, there was a time where I um, experimented with with Calvinism, dabbled, if you will, dabbled, um, and it was it was a time after college, um, and it's interesting because it really was. I've I've gone through different kind of schools of theology and stuff throughout my life. And I, I think Calvinism was probably the last one that I went through before I was like, all right, I don't think I could do this anymore. <laughs> and, but mostly in terms of like evangelicalism and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think it was, it was the one that had the most impact on me psychologically in a negative way. Hmm. And I think it was wrestling with that total depravity idea okay because there are people who really do take that to an extreme that's not something that's just like taken lightly they just kind of brush past oh yeah we're all, we're all evil anyway let's, let's 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 get back to it um there I, I wrestled with that a lot and it's like so part of my worldview is that i'm a wicked awful person yeah and i just don't think that's how human beings should live right and it was really affecting me because it's like so like i can't do anything good in my life nothing i do even the even though i can feel myself changing and becoming a better person no jp you're not and and there, and there were times when it's like i was having troubles in certain relationships, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into like specifics because it's kind of personal. Um, I would get. I would have uh, these sort of like conflicts within, within re with certain relationships, and I would turn to my Calvinist friends, and I would say, uh, you know, this person is being a real jerk. I wish they would just be nicer. Uh, it's it's creating a wedge between us, and their responses were always in some form of, well, you know, we're all terrible. And I'm like, okay. It's like, no, but seriously, you know, we're all terrible. We're all sinners. You know, you're bad too, JP. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And um, I mean, how do you think? And 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 I'm just gonna give you. I'm just gonna let you guess, Chuck. Uh, that relationship issue that I was having. How do you think it turned out? With uh, that kind of advice. Uh, it not good. Nothing. It just it just created a wedge further, and it, we drifted apart, and that was it. Yeah. So you know. 
I don't think I, I don't think Calvinists are, are 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 equipping people with how to grow and become a better person. I don't. Right, and, that's and from I mean, my own experience. yeah, and I mean, again, I, you know, I know that this is because again, people are there, there are a number of Calvinists, as I understand from my from my readings and just people I've interacted with that take umbrage with even Tulip saying that that's, that's, that's an inaccurate reflection on what, what the reform doctrines are all about. And that, uh, even this idea of total depravity is a little stronger than, 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 they, than maybe ought to be. But then again, I mean, Calvin himself in the institutes is very strong on this, that we can do no good. I mean, he says that like the, the, everything we do is evil. Right. Um, right. So I, I, yeah, I, I what I what just really quick while you were talking, it made me think of um, I see this on this on the internet every now and then, the way that people respond to like taking a Myers Briggs test, and yeah, they yeah, put their letters on their you know on their on their profiles, you know, like I do that a lot in Tinder, by the way. That's weird, right? And it becomes almost like so it becomes like oh I've learned this about myself, so now that means I have to sort of conform myself to these letters, yeah. And what these things mean rather than just sort of like, oh, that's an enlightening thing about the kind of person that I am, um, which is what Myers-Briggs is all about. Is like, oh, interesting. That explains a lot rather than, oh, now I have a label and I'm going to double down and now I'm going to make excuses for everything I do because the letters tell me that, oh, well, I'm just an introvert or, oh, I'm just this. You know, I and I think what happens is some Calvinists have done that with well, I'm just totally depraved. And so are you. And that's why we just do bad things. We can't help it. We just do bad things. If it yeah. were, But grace of Jesus, grace of Jesus, right? Just grace of Jesus. We can get better and get past it because only because of God, God's grace. And like, uh, no, I, it, yeah, we're flawed in our ability to do things. And that even our best is nine times out of 10, not going to measure up. And we find that all the time that even like some of the best people, in our in our world have had their issues and that they have their demons and they have like things going on in the background that oftentimes can make us think like oh maybe they're not as great right but that doesn't excuse the fact that they did good in the world right. and that there were good parts about them um and i think that's the piece that that paul is getting at in the original arguments that he's making around how we are all impacted by sin right for you know for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god paul writes in romans um that that's basically saying like, we all fall short. Like we're not perfect. That's all Paul's trying to say. We're not perfect. Every one of us, even the best of us are still missing the mark. He's not saying all of us are completely wicked, awful people deserving of, of, of internal damnation. Which is exactly what people used to tell me to my face about me. Yeah. You know, to, to teach me a lesson. You know, I heard people, you know, people would tell me things like, that JP, you are much worse than you think you are. You know, you're not able. You you are wicked. You are ungodly. You are an enemy of God. You know, and it's it's and you being saved is is the only thing that that is the only good thing about you. How do you think that affects somebody psychologically? Well, that, what like, is it? I could become a great greater person, but you're still an enemy of God, by the way. And to me, it just seems to go against entirely what. What the, what the scriptural tradition is all about in terms of the fact that, um, oh, as an aside, they are they are now uh, uh, doing edging work outside my office. Under, so you're going to hear that. Under um, attack by a TIE fighter, apparently. Yeah. Okay, so it goes against the scriptural tradition around the idea that, um, around the idea that... It's okay. We are capable of... of 
it just seems to me to think that sort of like God begrudgingly saves us. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not that like, oh, I created you and I take this great delight in you because I made you and you, you know, you are capable of just so I created you with so much capacity and you did this stupid thing and the stupid thing has led you to do a lot of other stupid things. But you know, I just want to make it possible for you to do less stupid things um, because I want you to be able to live fully into this life that I created you for in this world that I created you for, because there's just a, this intense amount of beauty that I've given you and you deny it all the time because you just do stupid stuff. Like, so here's how you do less stupid stuff. Um, that to me is part is, is what the good news is all about. It's not about like, I mean, tell me, tell me how it's good news to say, Hey, you know what? God hates you. <laughs> it's not, it's not good news, good news it's, it's, everybody. God hates you. And the whole approach is like, it's not just good news. There's good news, but there's also some bad news, by the way. Yeah, it's the good news is actually God loves you very, very much. The, 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 there is some bad news. The bad news is that you have a tendency to do things that are not good, but that's pretty obvious, right? Everyone can look around and say, yeah, we humans do bad things all the time. Right. I mean, I, I just this idea that that it's bad. I mean, the idea of recognizing that we are capable Every single one of us are truly capable of great acts of evil, I think is true. And I think that's an important thing that I don't think that, like, I think the thing that leads people to be murderers and all of that, I think that's in me, just like it's in you and everyone else. I think that's what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount, where he's saying like, oh, just because you didn't murder someone doesn't mean you don't have those impulses in you. If you hate somebody, mm -hmm. guess what? Like, you've got those impulses in you. Like, it's in there. Right. Um, I, I, but I, but I don't think that that means that because Hitler tried to kill all the Jews, that somehow like I am also equally guilty of that type of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I, I don't know. I just, I, I just don't think that it works that way. And I don't think that, I mean, I just think again, it's, 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 it, Jesus is trying to get us to understand that, you know, we do fall short, we mess up, but it's okay the grace of God is there to make up for that. And that's what I'm here for. I'm here to show you that God is gracious, that in spite of the fact that you do, that you as a species do these horrible things and are capable, it's okay. The grace makes up for it. Yeah. And I, I'm just thinking, you know, I, like I said, I think of the psychological ramifications of it. And, and that's that kind of thinking, if it's part of your worldview, it's going to, it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt people around you. And yeah. it's, it's kind of a form of, uh, like I have, I follow this YouTuber. She she coined this term masochistic epistemology to describe incels. Basically, whatever hurts is true, right? Which is, I think, something uh, you know. You don't even have to be a Christian to kind of adhere to that. I think a lot of non Christians do too. Mm -hmm. but whatever hurts is true, and you know, I, I apply that to some other experiences I had with you know Calvinist friends. I would take them to a church that I that I that I discovered. Uh, well, in LA, I had discovered a really nice church. And I took some friends who were visiting. Uh, a few of them were sort of reformed, and I took them, and I was like, "Oh, so what do you think?" And it was like, "Oh, he was wrong about everything. Like everything was wrong." And, and so it was just like, "Thanks." <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, you know, Jesus says that uh, they will know us by our love, right? And you know, when you talk to people. I mean, we posted the trailer for this thing, and, and within that same night, we had people go, well, I can't wait to hear what Father Chuck says about this. <laughs> what, is, what does that tell you, man, about, about, your, about these people, about, about this, 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 this belief that everyone except for them is like, yeah, those guys are, mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, 
I, I go back to, so this past Friday, uh, last week, last week, um, after we recorded our episode on Avatar, Matt and I went to go see Rob Bell in Orlando. And Rob Bell, had, it was brilliant, just so brilliant. I ripped it off for my, for my chapel service uh, the, the following week, because you have to the book of Ecclesiastes. And so what I... What I did with Ecclesia, with what I did for for my chapel talk on 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 Wednesday for the high school, is I basically I said I said imagine that you're in a hotel room and you're there for a funeral and you're really sad and you're really confused and you're really wanting some comfort and some answers and while you're looking for the book that um, to call for room service to see like what's around town or whatever to to you know that little book that they have in all the hotels you open a drawer and there's a Gideon Bible and so you think oh you know this is the book that's supposed to give people answers and comfort let me open this book. And you open it and you open it to the middle because that's what we do as people. We always, we always, when we pick up a book that's unfamiliar, we always, for some reason, open it right to the middle because I don't know, we like symmetry. But it just so happens that right in the middle of a new Gideon New Testament is the book of Ecclesiastes. And so let's say you open it and you open it to the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. The book opens with the words, everything is pointless. So that starts off the question, okay, well, there's that great biblical comfort that I've been looking for. <laughs> um, and Rob Bell talks about this. He says, well, that word pointless is actually in Hebrew, the word for Mr. Vapor. And what he's really, what, what, the, what the, the, the teacher, the author of the book is getting at is that everything, everything fades, everything is temporary, everything is going away. And he goes on and on about, the author goes on and on about how really awful the world is and how it just seems uh, unjust and uncertain. And, and you know, says things like, you know, I see righteous people die when they're young, but then I see, uh, I see wicked people live until they're really old. Like, why is it, you know, why is it that it seems like people think they can follow the rules and then it doesn't work out for them while people who break all the rules seem to thrive in life? Like what is, you know, this seems just empty. And again, it's all just, it's just this puff of wind. It's just this emptiness. And it just seems like, uh, um, and so what he, what Rob Bell does with this is to say that, um, that this is effectively a type of wisdom that allows us to confront the cynical mind that the cynic can say, well, how terrible the world is, how terrible we all are. You're awful, right? Even this Calvinist idea, you are totally depraved. And the author of, of Ecclesiastes says, yeah, I know that. And actually it's worse than you even think it is. Like he goes even deeper because it's way more random than we want to expect. Um, but the ultimate thing of it is, is and it, it addresses this question. You pointed out how, how, how awful the world is. Okay, well then what? What's next? That's what Rob Bell said. And then what? You can, you know, we can we can complain about everything. Okay, once you point out how awful everything is, what are you going to do about it? What's what comes next? And I think this is the thing that happens um, with a lot of people within this theological mindset is that we we can point out everything's wicked. We've got here's the magic code. We're totally depraved. Everything is bad. Everyone is completely uh, wicked in the eyes of God. Okay, sure, you can say that. We all we we're all messed up. Sure, that's that that's true. I think we can all agree on that. We all make mistakes. We're all kind of messed up. Um, and then what? How is that good news? You just pointed out that people are terrible. We already know that. We already know that the world is terrible. I mean, we can just look at the fact that two that what is it like twenty thousand children been ripped from their parents at the southern border? Like we know things are pretty bad out there. Um, and so what are we gonna? So, so what next? Great, you've done that. You know, for me, it goes to the next question. How is this good news? Where's the good news in this? Where's the, where's the gospel piece in this? Um, and I think it's, you know, like what Rob Bell says, and, what, and he interprets the author of, of Ecclesiastes as saying, you know, what we have to do is learn to enjoy the world in those moments of joy when they're here because they're fleeting and we have to make the most of them while we have them. While recognizing that those times of sadness, those are also going to fade away. Those times of uncertainty, those are going to fade away because everything is a season. Everything changes, everything is here, and then it's gone. 
Um, and so when we have those moments of joy and beauty, grab those, hold on to those, focus on those, eat, drink, be merry. Those are immediate simple things that we have in front of us because they, they come. And when they come, just, just gravitate to them. Um, and again, I think, I think this good news piece about Jesus is to say, you know, Jesus is saying, yeah, the world is bad and we are capable of bad things. We have bad stuff inside of us. You know, don't think that just because you, you know, you didn't kill someone that that rage and anger you had when someone cut you off in the road, that that's not a murderous impulse. It's there. Let's acknowledge that it's there. Um, but the good news is it doesn't matter because what God what God wants is you and he's going to do whatever it takes to get you. And in fact, I'm going to come and I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again in order to defeat death so that the consequences of sin, which is death, no longer apply. It's empty. Death has no power anymore. Death is empty, devoid of its power. And so you don't have, anything, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of any of that stuff anymore because I've saved you. Done. It's taken care of. Now what do we do? Salvation's happened. You are saved. How do you live your life knowing that now? How does that, what does that mean? Right? What does that mean for us? That's good news. To me, that's that's what makes it gospel, is that it's about being liberated from all this other stuff. It's acknowledging, it's, it, yes, it's acknowledging that there's bad things in the world. But then, okay, we know that. And now we're being told, but it doesn't really matter that much, that we can tap into something now that allows us to feel liberated and free. And so I think like when you get to the psychology piece, how does that affect us psychologically, JP? How is that, you know, I mean, to me, that's a pretty, I mean, that's a pretty fundamentally positive way of looking at the universe of saying it, it, it gives a person a chance to grow, to think yeah. that they are accomplishing something, which is something that's important. And I know like a lot of people, you know, these people who I was researching last night were saying things about like how, oh, in a culture that idolizes self-esteem, I'm like, oh, of course you would think that. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, it like I said, it allows someone to grow. And like one of the reasons why I, I became so sick of that belief is like I was growing. I was becoming a better person. I was doing good things. And people were very quick to tell me, yeah, but it's not really because of you, though, JP. It's because you're gone, right? Like, okay, well, give me something. Give me well, something. Well, again, <laughs> like, why would, why, like, and that's the question you have to ask. Okay, if God is sovereign and God gives us everything, right? If everything we have is a gift from God, which is what scripture testifies and the Calvinists would agree on, that if we have anything, it's there because of God. So then why would God give us talents and interests and passions? Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's all about, you know, and this is, I think part of the problem is that we, we as the church have in the West have gotten too far removed from our Jewish roots and have gotten so wrapped up in Western philosophy that we've forgotten that the initial purpose of all this stuff that like going back to the, the story that's record that's reflected in the book of Genesis is that God called us to be partners with God in the work of creation. Mm-hmm. And, and so because we're called to be partners, God has equipped us to be partners with God, which means that. You know, I mean, I don't understand this whole thing about, I don't understand how a Calvinist interprets what Paul's conversation about the body, how we're all parts of the body. You know, you know, we're, some of us are hands, some of us are eyes, some of us are ears, some of us are these different parts of the body, how that works in a Calvinist framework, because God has uniquely gifted us in order to be together and to be this one body. And so to then say, well, it's like, it's not me, but it's just Christ working in me. Like that's to deny what God has given you. Like I think right. Jesus, I think Jesus is, I think Jesus is like listening to this stuff and being like, no, you guys, he, I, like you're missing the point. Like I, God gave you this stuff for you to use it. It's not for you to then sort of, sort of pass the buck and act like it's not yours. Like, no, I gave it to you. I want you to enjoy it. I mean, that that to me would be like, like 
you know, I, I got a, I got a, I got a PlayStation three years ago for Christmas, right. As a Christmas present, that's a gift given to me by my mom. That's for me to be like, well, that's not my PlayStation. That's my mom's PlayStation. It's only there <laughs> because of my mom. Like, and, and so like, Hey mom, I call you up on the phone. How do you want me to use the PlayStation? Is it okay? I mean, I would like to play metal gear solid, but I don't know if that's okay. <laughs> is that the right thing to do? Right? Like, no, like the gift was given. So you use it. And not to sit there and say like, oh well, it's not mine. This is this is my mom playing through me. Like, no, right. like that's the, that's a that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what gift giving is all about. Um, and I, like, I could go on and on with this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, let me just say something. And, and I think um, I want to I want to say this, but and and um, just an aside. Do you do you want to talk about your personal experience at Covenant? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, okay. Um, then let's shift gears. Um, I can save this to the end and I'll get your okay. thoughts on it. Uh, so Chuck, tell me about uh, your personal experience with Covenant now that I've talked about mine. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll keep it short. My, my per I already talked a little bit about it. Um, yeah. My personal experience with Calvinism was that in the early 2000s, um, um, this sort of entered into my church um, that I grew up in and there were camps that were really quickly formed um around this and, and a lot of my friends used to pull me aside and try to they basically try to convert me to this basically like i've seen the truth now you need to know about it too and i just it, i always i always bristled up against it to say like it just this doesn't seem right it just doesn't seem right to me I, yeah, the, the predestination to, to to salvation thing that's never really bothered me it's the predestination to hell piece that has always concerned me um like you mean to tell me that god created people just to send them to hell that just doesn't seem right to me and that they have no say in the matter. They have no, like, that just doesn't seem like a just and loving God to me. Of course, then the argument is like, well, you're just, you're misunderstanding what just and loving is all about because, you know, God's, you know, God's the one who determines what love is and that's what God's love looked like. like I, but it, it just doesn't seem to be true to the scriptural tradition, to the idea that God loves everybody. So anyway, I spent a long time reading, reading passages, studying. And in fact, I think if anything, it was me arguing with my Calvinist friends that led me into learning things about historical criticism, the context of scripture, the context of language, the traditions of interpretation. And I think me being an Episcopalian is largely rooted in these initial conversations because it set me on a path of, of reading and studying the traditions and, uh, and, and of the scriptures and the church that brought me to where I am today. Um, and again, ultimately, I think I think in some way you could argue I am a Calvinist because I believe that everyone is chosen to be saved for salvation. It's hard to say it. So I mean, I think I think I think it has impacted me that led me to this. But I know that a lot of the a lot of my friends who I had these conversations with, if they hear me say this, are going to be completely scandalized that I would come to that conclusion. Yeah. Um, but that that but I but I just as an aside, we we're talking a little bit about our culture, and I think I think Calvinism is, is indirectly indirectly impacted us as as people because. Um, American philosophy and social philosophy is still is is always going to be rooted in Puritanism because that's largely what we were founded under is Puritan and then later deist uh, understandings of the world. The, the reformed mindset is key to our political philosophy, and I think that's partly why we see these issues happening in the social media world where somebody does something bad and we never forgive them for it and we yeah. never let them get that they did something bad that we don't let people grow and change. I mean, like this whole controversy around Kevin Hart hosting the, the Oscars is to me rooted in Calvinistic thinking, even though the people who say it don't recognize that, but it's this idea that, you know, he's depraved. He has done something wrong in the past and it can never really be erased. You know, 
unless you're unless you're somehow special you know you're always going to be bad and we're always going to remind you how bad you are we're not going to let you grow i think is rooted in this kind of thinking mm -hmm. um interesting okay um well so i i had a thought while i was sort of you know um toiling away and all these beliefs and reliving traumatic events <laughs> um that was supposed to be funny um, <laughs> um, I came to this conclusion in terms of both total depravity and, and predestination, which is that, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that we all, to some degree, believe that we are defined by the choices we make in life. Yeah. And if that, if the idea of free will is incompatible with the sovereignty of God, which is what predestination is then you know if if our choices don't define us and who are we i yeah. feel like i feel like the idea of predestination not being compatible with the sovereignty of god and taking away that free will you're, you're taking away away not just my my ability to to kind of mold who i am but you're taking away me a, a, a period right and i think that's sort of what was happening to me i was i was i was losing who i was when i was kind of digging further into it. And another thing I want to kind of point out, the reason why I stopped doing it is because I got so burnt out trying to figure out what is the most literal way to interpret this because it kind of felt like that was sort of the key to understanding God in terms of through Calvinism. Right, which is a, which, which is a fundamental misunderstanding of the Bible. Right. But like I said, and I say, I think, I said, I think it's just like there is a, a sense of stripping away of an identity when you take away free will. Yeah. And here, here's my thing is because I've wrestled with this a lot, too. And because, again, I, I've already mentioned, like, I'm a big fan of the idea of sovereignty yeah. and that and I am kind of an, on board with the idea of predestination as it applies to, in, a, in a universal sense. But what I what, the way that I think about it is that. Ultimately, like. Is that here? Well, probably the biggest impact on my thinking on this stuff would be um, would be C.S. Lewis and his book, The Great Divorce, which is a book about people in the afterlife given an opportunity to go to the, the threshold of heaven and being confronted with whether or not to continue or not, and the ways in which a lot of our own selfish thinking keeps us from accepting what God wants for us. C.S. Lewis had this belief, and he did he he didn't get it. He, he, this isn't original to him; he got it from other people. But he had this belief that. And it's talked about, I think, in the book, The Abolition of Man, but it could be in Miracles. I can't remember which book of his, but it's the idea that rebellious to the end, the gates of hell are locked from the inside, that hell is a state of being we put ourselves in. Um, and what so how, I, how what I understand about this is I think that that's true. I think that um, that hell is a state of being that we place ourselves in, but that God is ever patient and always provides a way out. The scriptural tradi the, the tradition is that Jesus descended to the grave and that Jesus is there preaching liberation to those in, in the grave. And so I think that Jesus is present in, the, in that place, always offering a way out to people. The problem is it just takes, us, it takes people a long time to get there, but the ultimate piece is that the truth and power of the idea, once, it's, once, it's, once we see it and experience, we realize, oh, we, well, you can't do anything else. Like sometimes just truth is truth and it's unavoidable. Just some of us take a little longer getting to that path than others. Right. And so what I, so what I think is, so basically I, I say all that because it's complicated, but basically sort of 
the ending of the story is already written for all of us, but the path to how we get to that ending is different and allows us to have a unique experience there. And I think what happens a lot of times in this predestination conversations is that we see that the path is, is equal distant for everyone, that everyone takes the same path. But I don't think everyone takes the same path. I think some people take long meandering paths. Mm -hmm. um, and so the choices that we make on that path and along the way, eventually they will lead us the same way. But that doesn't deny who we are in our journey to get there. Right. Um, and so to me, that's where the balance of predestination and free will comes in, is that we are freely allowed to take whatever path that we're going to take that leads us to the same destination. Well, um, I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, it's a long episode. <laughs> the, you know, this this new format we're using, Google Hangouts, it doesn't have like a, a timer. or right. does, But I'm just like, yeah, I think we've been doing this for about two hours now. Somewhere in the neighborhood of like an hour and 45 minutes. Okay, okay. All right. Yeah. Still. Uh, good episode though. I think, I think this is, I think, I think people are going to really like, I think we're going to really respond to it. Um, wow. That was, uh, that was something. I, and I think that, and I, 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 I hope that we have been generous with the Calvinistic perspective. Right. I think we don't, because, because I think it can totally yield to like, it'd be so easy to be very dismissive of it. And then we get replies of sort of like hashtag, not all Calvinists. <laughs> no uh, talk Calvinists, but yeah. Yeah. But I think that there's, but I do think that there is, there's some validity to that understanding that it's not all that, that not all Calvinisms are created equal. Yeah. I've heard of things like, Oh, I'm a 3.5 Calvinist or something like. Yeah. Um, Calvinist or something. Yeah. And I, I mean, sure. What fine, whatever. If that's the way you want to go, it's yeah. the way you want to go. But like, I, just as an aside, though, I will say this is probably this is the one thing that will probably get me in a little bit of hot water is I just did not find that the institutes, what little I read of them, but I did not find them to be nearly as deep as people act like they are. Mm -hmm. um, because I, it, as I, as I told you before the episode, I see it as this is this is Calvin's commentary on Augustine, who himself, Augustine of Hippo, who himself was commentating on Paul's writings in the New Testament. So you get commentary of commentary. And then you get the Westminster confession, which is a commentary on the institutes, which is, you know, so I mean, I just, I, I find that it's translation eventually. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it, I think it kind of happened with Augustine. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to be fair, but I, uh, I mean, and I, and I like Augustine, but um, he has been also responsible for a lot of problems because I, I the, the whole concept of original sin as we tend to understand it, which gave way to the total depravity stuff comes from him. Um, and in fact, a lot of the Eastern, the Eastern uh, uh, theologians who were contemporaries of, of Augustine um, have condemned Augustine um, basically uh, as a heretic for his views on original sin. Right. Um, but that's uh, going to be a whole other conversation. <laughs> well, um, okay. So I think that's a good place to leave off. Um, I just want to say, Chuck, thank you so much for uh, doing the research that you did and, uh, being able to explain everything and, and, and talk about everything. And, and, and well, and I hope that I did. And I hope I did in a way that is, that is authentic. Right. I, you know, I, I just want to make sure that I didn't, you know, I, I didn't want to, I didn't, I don't want to be like, Oh, I didn't read anything about Calvin, but here's my feelings about Calvin. You know? And yeah. Then, we're, we're, we're pretty conscious about the fact that, you know, no one's here to sort of represent the whole belief that this is basically based on our own experiences and our, and our own, opinions in our own research. Right. And our own experience also of what, what 
sort of the conventional understanding of what Calvinism is, which is largely rooted in this discussion around predestination and depravity and things like that, which itself, I mean, again, like I think jury's out whether or not Calvin himself would be considered a Calvinist if we were to meet him. <laughs> which I guess that, that's kind of like the point of the meme that we posted the other day, right? But uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. Okay. So uh, again, Father Chuck, thank you so much for, oh, you're welcome. for everything. And um, I want to thank our audience. Again, if you have any problems at all with what has been said during this episode, yet you, you take any issue or, any, or take umbrage with anything we're saying, please direct all your complaints to at real Matt Wells at Twitter. On Twitter, yeah, yeah, because he <laughs> he is he has graciously volunteered to field all of our Calvinist uh, uh, queries. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he is he he's your guy. Yeah, that's also guy. his Instagram. That's also I think it's, yeah, that's even his website with the real Matt Wells com. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just just. We are in no way throwing him under the bus. <laughs> he totally vetted this decision. <laughs> totally. All right. So thank you so much for listening. Um, join us again next week and have a wonderful week. Good journey. Good journey. Hi, it's John Calvin again. My friend Martin, he nailed his uh, uh, statements on the wall of the church in Wittenberg. Yes, you know, you know this story? Um, well, you can do something similar by leaving comments to our stuff. You can be like my friend Martin and change the church with your comments. <laughs> <laughs>